now this is about the fourth lesson that we've come to, and uh, we've been studying a, just a series of lessons entitled Telling Others. And, of course, that's telling others about Jesus Christ. Of course, we wouldn't tell anything, others about anything else. And uh, I just thought I'd put some notes up here to kind of bring you up to where we're at. You may have been here the whole time. You may have missed some. But, of course, uh, telling others, we said uh, uh, the motives, the motives for telling others about Jesus Christ, first of all, was for their sake. They need to be saved because the alternative to being saved, well, let's just say it's bad. Right? Just make sure you all wake. <laughs> and number two, the second motive, you tell someone else about Jesus Christ, is for his pleasure. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, uh, it's our duty to please the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the ways that you can please him as a Christian, as a child of God, is to tell someone else about the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, not only that, but number three, we went over for a living church. And we said this, uh, there's a lot of churches and and uh, by God's grace, uh, uh, we're not in that bucket. And I don't ever want to be in that bucket, but there's many churches out there that never see anyone say, they never see anything, and it's uh, comprised mostly of, if I could say it this way respectfully, older people, and you see the whole church, uh, the face of the church just become more like a nursing home. And let me tell you what, I, I, I'm thankful, no matter what age you are, if you got saved, Amen. But uh, the reason you should witness and tell other people about Jesus Christ is because it encourages others in the church. It's a living church. And too many times we said this, that Christians, they become what they call Dead Sea Christians. They become gospel blimps. <laughs> it has nothing to do with your diet. But if all you ever do is come in and soak in the Word, which it's good to come in and get the preaching and get the teaching, but if you never do anything with it and you never take it outside the door and you never tell someone else about Jesus Christ and as Paul said, you never commit what you've learned to faithful men and faithful women, you become that church that's not alive, that's not growing. So those are the three motives we covered there. The second thing, we, the uncanny truth about telling others, let's just go ahead and be honest for a minute. Number one, it's inconvenient, isn't it? I don't know anybody who just, just wakes up every morning just bouncing out the door ready to tell everyone about Jesus. And you say, well, I'm that way. Well, I'm going to hang around you a little bit and learn some lessons. Amen. I'm not like that. Um, but you're probably more spiritual than I am. But it's inconvenient. Uh, when, when you want to witness to someone, you, half the time you don't have a track, do you? Uh, when you feel burdened about it, you, you know in position there's no liberty to speak half the time. Not only that, it's contrary to your flesh. Makes you feel funny, makes you feel awkward, makes you feel like a nut, makes you feel like a fruitcake. You like going up to someone and tell them without Jesus Christ you're going to burn in hell forever? Well, isn't that what someone told you? Did someone be honest with you? You know, a lot of people are trying to air condition hell these days. But you know what? If you don't tell someone that there's a, there's a hell, there's no way that they can accept heaven. Why would they accept heaven if there's no hell? You're going to go ahead and approach them and know God loves you and Jesus loves you and would you like to go to heaven? Well, no, they don't want to go to heaven. If they wanted to go to heaven, they would have went a long time ago. Right? So you got, you got to get them lost. And I'm getting ahead of myself here, but it's just it's contrary to your flesh. It's troublesome. When you start telling people about Jesus Christ, you know what happens? Trouble kicks up, don't it? And we're going through that in 1 Thessalonians. And whenever you do something right for Jesus Christ, how you are established in the faith is you go through suffering. 
and many times when you're telling other people about Jesus Christ, stuff's going to start happening. Amen? I mean, stuff's going to start happening. Stuff's going to start falling apart. Now, listen, don't get this complex, and every time you run out of gas on the highway, it's not because you told someone about Jesus because you've got to fill up. Amen? And, don't, you, know, you know, when your water starts tasting terrible, don't blame it because you gave someone a track. You forgot to change the filter in your water softener. Amen? Right? Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. So you can't get this complex that everything you do is just, but I'm just saying, you start telling others about Jesus Christ, and the tr trouble's going to kick up, isn't it? All right, not only that, but there's one objective in telling others. It's not so I can get better at it. It's not so I can get a better delivery. It's not that I can become proficient. It's just simply the, the one objective is to bring someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's it. We're not looking to put another notch on our soul winning belt. We're not trying to bring in more people so we can have more ministries, so we can have bigger offerings, so we can have another building program. Let me tell you, you're looking at a building that's had I don't know how many building programs. And I doubt in my lifetime there will ever be a need for a building program here. Why? They already done did all the building programs. Amen. You got a gymnasium. You got like seven classrooms. You got, I mean, you got, you could put 300 people in here if you wanted to. It would be a little hot and stuffy, but you could do it. But uh, the whole thing, the one objective is to bring someone to Jesus Christ. Then we started talking about methods of witnessing. Methods of witnessing. And the first one is to give your personal testimony. That's the best way and probably the easiest way you could ever witness to somebody. First of all, uh, when you give your personal testimony, you want to be courteous about it. Make sure you don't force it, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to catch us all up to where we're going here next. But you want to be courteous about it. Uh, don't force it, especially if you're there unannounced. Especially if, how about a coworker? You start telling someone about your personal testimony, and you kind of pick up the vibes. They really don't want to hear it from you. Well, leave it alone. Don't force it. Not only that, but go ahead and live your testimony. One of the most powerful things you can do is live the very testimony that you're telling people about. If Jesus Christ truly uh, found you when you were a lost, wretched sinner on your way to hell and you needed to be saved and now he's changed your life and that's your verbal, personal testimony, now go ahead and live it in front of them. Amen? That's the best thing you can do. And it might, you, they might not just get saved overnight. It might take years. Literally, might take years. And I don't have all the illustrations and that, but I got just a few in the short life that I've lived that the Lord's allowed me to draw the net on a few, and it took, it's taken some people as many as eight years after getting to know me. And I say this, if you get to know me and know me eight years, if you get saved, it's a miracle of God. <laughs> and if they know you for eight years and they get saved, it's a miracle of God. But you ought to live your testimony. Not only that, but how about just be polite? I know there's something about Bible believers, and some of you weren't raised in uh, what I would call a hard Bible-believing flavor, and that may or may not be a bad thing. But, uh, you know, you just ought to be polite. Somewhere along the line, it's like there's, a, there's this mindset among a number of Bible believers that because we have the truth, and I believe 100% we have the truth, then we need to beat everyone with it. Well, let me tell you what, you don't always need the bat. Sometimes you need the balm. A lot of people out there busted up. We are the broken generation. You know, my generation coming through, divorces really started picking up, really started picking up. But now do you realize that if you're in the present generation, it's nearly 99% of people through split homes, broken homes, and we, we are now the broken generation. I'm a product of a divorce. I'm not ashamed of it. I thank God for it. 
And when for a divorce, God only knows where I'd be. My parents divorced when, uh, when I was about one or whatever, so about that or between one and two there. And he was a drunk and she's trying to make a living. And, you know, she'd come up here and met Mr. Handsome and met my stepfather. And he ended up raising me and came here, got saved. You see what I mean? Product of a divorce. Pretty good product, don't you say? <laughs> Not me, but I'm just saying. If it weren't for the divorce, where would I be? Somewhere downstate in Detroit somewhere, hooked on a needle? In the bad company, wrong part of town? Would I be dead? Would I be burning in hell? But this is the broken generation, so you've got to live your testimony. You've got to be polite. When you give your testimony, we said this, you ought to center your testimony on Lord Jesus Christ. He's the hero. It's not us. It's not our great burden for souls. It's not, oh, I don't want you to go to hell, even though that's a great thing, right? Uh, for their sake, we want them to get saved. We don't want them to see them go to hell. But Jesus Christ is the hero, and your testimony ought to center everything about Jesus Christ. And, of course, the last part when you're uh, giving your personal testimony, this is kind of called being a closer. And I know that's kind of a canned phrase, but you should try to aim to conclude with an invitation. And that's where everyone gets weirded out sometimes. Let me tell you what, if you've ever sold anything in your life, let's say you can sell candy. Remember band boosters and choir boosters and all that stuff? I, I, all, I, all I could tell you is this. People like candy and candy bars. Show them the picture. You don't say, do you want some? You know what you say? How many? Right? You say, what do you say that for? Yeah, be a closer. Conclude with an invitation. You have to determine, are they saved or lost? Now, you can't tell sometimes. But sometimes you get talking to someone, you know they're lost as a goose in a horse race. You're like, this, this person, he's so lost, it's not even funny. So you've got to make that determination. Is this fellow saved or lost? And then decide the best way to talk to him moving forward. You gotta make some decisions. What are you doing? I'm trying to get an invitation across the plate to them. Now they might not take it, but you know what? I'm not the Holy Spirit either. I want to get them to this point if I can. I want to determine, all right, this fellow here, he's lost. And you know what? The best way that I need to talk to this guy because he's a roughneck, I'm gonna talk a little bit rough. But the best way to talk to this fellow over here, he's kind of meek and timid. I'm gonna be a little bit more compassionate. Remember the book of Jude? It says, what, some you uh, save with fire, some having compassion making a difference. you got to determine the best way to talk to them. When I would preach outside the street, a, a Rouse Tavern, that old decrepit place there in West Branch there, and uh, just a wicked, ungodly, they, they shut it down three times and renamed it twice. If anyone knows, it's a tipsy bear, you know, a beer hole or bistro, or whatever they call that thing there. And uh, when some of them guys would come out, man, I'd, I'd try to, Peel the paint off the wall. Why? Half drunk? Come out there cussing you out? Some you got to save with fire. But not everybody. You talk to a little old grandma, you're not going to put her in hell half the time. You probably better bring it down a little bit. Probably better have some compassion, right? You start talking to a, a, a younger child, maybe nine or ten years old, and you can see that they're afraid and they're under conviction. Uh, you don't turn hell so hot that you own the place, right? You've got to have a little bit of common sense on that thing. And so you conclude with invitation. You determine they're saved or lost. You decide the best way to talk to them. And then what do you do? Luke chapter, what is it, 14, 31, compel them to come in. All are bid to the supper. Come on in. Uh, one, of the, one of the things, uh, a friend of mine, his name's Matt, and he lives uh, up north in Sheboygan there. He used to live in uh, Millersburg over by... Uh, 
Akiak. Some, some of you probably know where that's at. It's way up there by Onaway there. And uh, he worked for me, and he's a super guy. And uh, he was a great salesman, and I was his supervisor. And I would give him the, the, the most difficult things in the world to sell, and he'd sell it all. It didn't matter. It could be filet mignon. It could be ice cream cones. It could be, you know, a bag and product with busted up box. He'd come back empty all the time. And finally, I got a chance to witness to him. And I was kind of this place right here. I'd witnessed him a few times. And I'm, I'm at the point where I need to conclude. I talked to him about the Lord for so long. And now it's just time for an invitation. So I took him to barbecue, a place up in Alpena shut down called B&B Barbecue. And we got there talking around, uh, you know, what was it, what we were having there. Uh, what's that? They cut it out of the neck there. Brisket, there you go. Ever had a good brisket before? Man, that's good eating there. But anyways, uh, we're uh, sitting around a bunch of brisket, and I said, uh, I said, Matt, if I, had, if, uh, if I could tell you in about three minutes how to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you be willing to do it? He looked at me without missing me. He said, I got three minutes. He wanted to hear some more. <laughs> so you can clue in the invitation, determine whether they're saved or lost, decide the best way to talk to them, and just compel them to come in. Long story short about Matt, I talked to him about, uh, it probably took about five minutes, not three minutes. And uh, he got all nervous and upset. And he says, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And I figured I blew it. Blew my chance. Uh, or the Holy Spirit's out the window or something. But he was just nervous in that restaurant. And I'm, I'm staring him down. I got a little New Testament in my hand, quoting scripture at him. And we go out back in my uh, red GMC Jimmy that I hit about 20 deer with. But anyways, we got in that thing. Uh, He's about six foot uh, six, and just imagine a six foot six guy climbing a little GMC Jimmy. And we got in there, and I shut the drive door. He shut the passenger door. He just started bawling, crying, cried out to the Lord to save him right there. That's just a unique situation. Uh, but you compel him to come in, and he wasn't going to do it in the restaurant, but we had to get out in the, in the Jimmy for him to do it. So uh, that's uh, giving your personal testimony. Giving your personal, that's one method of witnessing. And your, your, your testimony is unique. That's how you got saved. And the way you got saved is not the way I got saved, except for the fact that you and I called upon the name of the Lord to receive Jesus Christ. All right, now here we are, the, the second part here. I caught you all up to speed, talking about gospel tracts. A way that you can witness is by passing out gospel tracts. And uh, gospel tracts are great tools in personal witnessing. Amen. How many of you are familiar with gospel tracts? How many? Uh, let me ask you this question. How many have you been personally handed a legitimate gospel tract with the plan of salvation on it in your lifetime? Raise your hand. 50%. Um, I, when I was uh, 17, working at McDonald's West Branch, and, uh, he, was a, uh, he was a preacher in Alger. I can't remember the name. Fender, I think, was his last name. He came through the drive-through and gave me a gospel track, and I was I was saved. I was a Christian, and I thought he was a weirdo. That was the only gospel track I've gotten forty-six years. It's from that preacher. Ain't that something? I tell you what, it's encouraging. We went down to the Big Boy here a couple times a number of years back. I hadn't been there in a while. A number of years back, and I saw some uh, saw some gospel track chick tracks in there from Seacord uh, Baptist and Gladwin. Uh, I've also seen uh, chick tracks from uh, Twining Baptist. That's encouraging. You say, well, doesn't that make you jealous? No, man. Compel them to come. I don't care who's passing out the tracks. Pass them out. That's a great tool. Well, this is Taos. Well, they came to Taos and ate and left the track. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful they're dropping them. <laughs> Why? Because half of us won't. <laughs> 
All right, now gospel tracts are great tools, and this is not my chance for to get on people and beat you up, but here's the thing. I tell you what, if you're going to tell us about Jesus Christ, tracts is one of the greatest ways to do it. How about this? If you pass out three gospel tracts a day, it's a thousand a year. And you, you never know, you'll never know until eternity what gospel tracts will do. Uh, you should always keep gospel tracts on you, especially uh, when you visit people. Uh, when you uh, keep them in your car. Uh, I said this last week, go back there and just grab a bunch. I don't care. I, you're going to lose half of them. I know you. <laughs> some are going to go through the wash. Uh, some are going to, you know, be in that little container where, you know, you, you set your coffee cup in the car and you spill coffee on some. You will. Been there, done that. But you put them uh, in your car, put them in your purse for the ladies. For the ladies. Put them in your pockets. How about your Bibles? You got any tracks in your Bible? That's a good place to put them. I'm just saying this. You can't give out a track if you don't have it. Amen? And we have lots of tracks. Lots of tracks. Uh, gospel tracks go and preach where you and I can't. They enter people's homes. They enter cars. Uh, you want to be careful about putting them on windshields. Uh, if someone finds you doing that, they might get upset. Why? It's personal property. I don't advise it. You say, well, I know so-and-so. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you, I've reaped people putting gospel tracts on windshields at Walmart. They come right in this parking lot, and they get right up in my face, and they want to fight. That's the world you live in. And, of course, with my personality, it doesn't always make it a whole lot easier. I say something like, what are you afraid of, a little gospel tract? Which isn't always the right thing to say, amen. But a gospel tract will enter a place of business. Um, when at the workplace there, I had a couple uh, offices, uh, one in Taos and one in Alpena, uh, they were allowed to bring in sporting magazines. They were allowed to bring in all that stuff. I wouldn't. I, I make sure it was no like swimsuit issue or something like that. But and as soon as they start, I would just wait till they start putting that stuff out there. As soon as they did, I started dropping the chick tracks because you can't discriminate. But if you got a place that uh, puts Reader's Digest or Field and Stream or NRA, as soon as the company starts doing that, that's a green light for you to go ahead and put your gospel tracks. If you're concerned about it affecting you. Pass out, well, throw some ones out there without the church stamp on it. There's ways to get around it, but they go into place of business. And you never know the influence that a small piece of paper can have on someone with whom God is dealing. And why? Well, our objective is to win people to Jesus Christ. And if you can't deal with them personally, like giving them your personal testimony, give them a gospel track. Amen? Uh, be careful when you pass out a gospel track, just like giving your testimony. Be careful and never force it on anybody. If they don't want it, that's their choice. I'll say it again. If they don't want the track, it's their choice. That's a hard lesson to learn. I've passed out tracks for a good 20 years straight. And, you know, I would just say probably the last five years, I've handled it a little bit better, rejection. Because when, when they reject it, you take it personal. Now, some of you might be more mature than I was, but the last couple of years, I'm like, okay. Thank you very much. Never force it on anybody. And uh, you might do more harm than good if you're too insistent. Never argue with them, you know. Uh, don't, don't be sarcastic, uh, bombastic, condescending. Amen. If someone's a sodomite, you don't need to tell them they are. They know it, right? Amen. Someone's going to hell, you, you might tell them, but you don't have to tell them like you're running the joint. So here's a... <laughs> But you want to be polite and you want to be courteous when you pass out tracks. I'm telling you what, a little sweetness goes a long way, especially in this generation. 
you got to remember that you represent the Lord first and foremost. How about this? After you represent the Lord, you represent your local church. Amen. And uh, how you act out on the street or how you act in uh, your personal witnessing to others, people are going to formulate an opinion that everyone else is just like you. Isn't that scary? <laughs> I think everyone else is like you, you know. Uh, so here's a question you want to ask yourself. What makes a good gospel track? Well, you want your gospel tracks to be received, so use the best ones, right? Uh, the best ones, in my opinion, are chick tracks, but they're very expensive. So that's why we never hardly have any around, because as soon as they, we get them, they're gone. But they're great. They're cartoon tracks, you know what I mean? Uh, and I think they're, uh, they're very good tracks. They have a clear gospel presentation. But how about, in the day and age you and I, you and I live in, an attractive appearance... Uh, and biblical content are absolutely necessary for a good track. It has to be attractive. Um, Specifically in America, right? People expect literature to be catchy and attractive. So you want to think about, where do I go? Uh, You know, you go to a restaurant, uh, and you're going to leave a tip. Uh, Don't leave a track that says God's last name is not Dan. That's a good way to just, just, they're going to throw it away. Yeah. What you do is you take one of them hospitality tracks back there. I, I don't know if we have any left back. There's some, some just real simple, very courteous, polite tracks. It's simple to be saved and uh, the way to heaven and the hospitality track, something like that. Now, listen, the, uh, some tracks are ugly and they look cheap and people aren't going to read them. Uh, you know, people aren't going to read a track that's a book. 20 years ago, they might. 30 years ago, they might. But now everything has to be flashy and catchy. And uh, you say, well, you can't judge a book by its cover. But we Americans do. And if it looks like it's sat in your wallet for three years, they won't read it. They won't touch it. So uh, if we spend a little extra money on quality tracks, in my opinion, it's worth every penny. Worth every penny. Um, I've had very few tracks this summer refused. I really have. Very few. I, I would say it's... 10% 10% or less, which is very unusual. But it also could be that no one has been out on the streets of Taos regularly. I'm not accusing, I'm just surmising. Because uh, uh, generally in a town like uh, in West Branch, uh, when you're on the streets, especially when you're preaching on the streets, they just refuse everything after a while. Why? They just figure you're against everything they are. And you might be. But uh, now a track... Uh, <clears throat> Like I said, it should be easy to read. It shouldn't be too wordy. So take a look at some tracks back there. Which ones are the easiest, the simple? What best fits my audience? Am I going to be uh, passing out any tracks to kids? Then we have a couple cartoon tracks back there, I believe. If you're passing out tracks to uh, someone at the doctor's office, maybe it might need to be a little bit more clerical. Maybe it'll be more uh, precise. But uh, a good track obviously makes sure it quotes from the King James Bible. And that its doctrine is good. None of this ambiguous, vague stuff. And it should easily present the gospel and include an invitation for the sinner to receive Christ. Now look, we have done the work on tracks. So every track that's back there, I personally believe is a good track. But you're just going to have to figure out where you're going and who it's to. Um, if you're in, uh, if you're going to use the public restroom, God help you, right? Uh, in a rest area, guys, you might get some truck driver tracks back there, right? Might get some uh, uh, some tracks that are a little bit tougher, a little bit tougher approach. 
so forth and so on. But a good gospel tract, don't forget, also has contact information on it. So if they trust Jesus Christ, they can contact the church. Or how about this? I'm not even against this. If you purchase your own tracts that are good and put your name and number on the back, that's something you can do. Now, if you put your name and number on the back, uh, expect to call. And uh, expect that they're not all going to be calling you, telling you they're getting saved either. <laughs> so they're going to be calling, getting mad. All right, so when you use gospel tracts and witnessing, that's something you can do. Uh, you say, I'm not good at talking to people. Okay, then grab a track, familiarize yourself with the track, and if you get a chance to talk to somebody, take the track and walk them through it. There it is. There's a great chick track called This Was Your Life. And what I do with people, I just go right through that track, page by page. What do you think of that? Oh, you know, <laughs> or so forth and so on, and get to the end and say, uh, where the guy's uh, confessing Jesus Christ and getting on his knees and praying to the Lord to get saved. You look at the person and say, well, you can do that today. And, you know, you, you can use a gospel track in witnessing. You can go through the track, explain the, the plan of salvation. Um, we have done this once or twice here at this church, uh, but because of being so busy, we haven't lately. But one way we, we can do it is mass track distribution. I've actually have been thinking more. We did, uh, I think, uh, when we were in Lupton, we did Perchville one time. Man, did we offload a bunch of tracks. Uh, yeah, at Perchville. And it was cold, and everyone was happy. <laughs> no comments. <laughs> everyone was happy and taking tracks. And boy, we got rid of a bunch of tracks. But, uh, and uh, when you go to those events, say it's like the 4th of July parade or something like Perchville, th the idea is just to get rid of as many tracks as you can. You play this game called Hot Potato. And you don't have to tell, you're not, you not going to witness to every single person there. You say, here, uh, here's a track, enjoy the parade. Happy Fourth of July, Happy Fourth of July, Happy Perchville, you know, have a great day, don't fall in the lake, you know what I mean, all that stuff there, and uh, just say, here's a free gospel track, whatever, but uh, some things to keep in mind when you're passing out tracks at uh, some larger events, I think we're going to try to do a couple here in the next year, is first of all, just pray that the Lord will bless His Word. Whenever you go out and pass out tracks, you know, not to mention the tracks that you pass out, pray over them. Say, Lord, will you open up the ears and the minds of the hearers? Uh, Lord, would you help them to receive what we're going to give out? Because you remember that the devil, you know what he is. We said Wednesday night, he's a thief. And he goes in and he takes that word that you pass out and he steals it from the hearts of the hearers. So you want to pray that the Lord bless that word and you get that word out there and it'll stick it in a pocket somewhere and he'll for, he, he or she will forget about it until he goes home or something and starts emptying his pockets and there's a gospel track and they sit down in their easy chair, they're in the comfort of their own home and they start reading about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? You gave it to them. There it is. So pray for that. All right. <clears throat> and uh, if you're going to do a mass tract uh, event there, uh, you gotta you got to remember just a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, don't get in the way of the entertainment. And now, we, uh, a lot of times on the street, they've got like concerts going on, or they've got car shows going on. And uh, you don't want to get in the way of the entertainment. You know what I mean? Uh, hand out tracks when people don't have their attention on something else. Uh, how about this one? This is something you got to remember. Be lawful about it. If the police tell you to stop, what do you do? Stop and get out of there. Well, it's all right. You can, you can fight it in court later, but you don't want to make a scene and uh, drop your personal testimony just because you're hung up on your rights. See, that's where Christians go crazy these days. 
I've got rights. Sure you do, but are you out there to tell people about Jesus Christ or protest your rights? See what I mean? See, we are Laodicea because Laodicea is rights of the people. And so many times as Christians, we'll make a bigger stink about our rights than we will staying on target and making the main thing telling others about Jesus Christ. And sometimes when police get out there, all they're trying to do is de-escalate a situation. And you're always wise and always smart. Uh, if they tell you to stop, stop. And then what we'll do is we'll go to the district attorney and we'll go to the sheriff, because I've already got things in writing from both of them that were completely lawful being out there. So I cleared all that stuff in hot years ago before we went out. <laughs> I just want to make sure we knew what we are up against. Amen. But if they tell you to stop, it's not because they're against you. Nine times out of ten, they're just de-escalating a complaint. So we stop and get out. Remember, all through the Gospels, whenever people ask Jesus to leave, you know what he did? He left. So we'll come back later. So always remember, when the police tell you to stop, stop. Uh, we don't need the reproach of a scene. How about this? Let's say you don't, and you get arrested. Now guess what this church is known for? You being an idiot. <laughs> Well, I have my rights. Yes, you do. You have your right to remain silent. <laughs> Anything you can say will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to cable TV and the right to sing the blues. All right. So another thing you can do when you're passing out tracks, a mass event there, is just be wise. Be wise. Be courteous. Be friendly. And how about this one? Uh, rejoice. Are you going to take a tract? Are you going to take a piece of literature from someone that looks like uh, a sourpuss or a toadstool? Yeah, smile. Put a smile on your face. The Bible says rejoice evermore. I mean, if you're happy and you look people in the eyes and you have a genuine smile, uh, they're more likely to take it. Uh, what I try to do on the street out here, I try to wave at people. And I try to, try to be sincere because I don't just spend my afternoon waving at people. That's kind of silly, you know what I mean? I just like try to, you say, what are you doing? I'm just trying to get their attention so they look at the sign. Hey, how are you? <laughs> but you got to smile you got to look like you're enjoying it. You know, another method you could use, uh, you've got uh, methods of witnessing there. You've got giving your personal testimony. You've got gospel tracts. How about uh, you get a chance to witness to somebody? You can use the Ten Commandments. You ever thought about that? You can use the Ten Commandments. And uh, I want you to think about this. Our job as soul winners is not to save anybody at all. Think about it for a second. And the reason is, is because you and I can't save anyone. That's it. But our goal is to get people lost so God can save them. That's our job. Our job is to get people lost. And then God can save them from there. And our job is to convince people of their own self-righteousness and sinfulness. Now, that's quite a job right there. Because we're all self-righteous by nature. Look at Galatians chapter 3.24. Galatians 3.24 The Ten Commandments is very, very helpful and very instructive if you get a chance to uh, witness to somebody. The Apostle Paul said that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. So, one of the ways that you can tell others is by using the law as an instructor. Galatians 3.24, the Bible says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And so... Listen, just telling someone they deserve hell isn't going to convince them. You've probably been told to go there before, amen? 
But uh, you've got to, they've got to see it for themselves, and they also have to be convicted by the Holy Spirit that they're lost and they're headed to hell. And then that puts them in a place where God can save them. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 9. Romans chapter 7, verse 9. We just saw that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So if you're here today and you're saved, it was because someone showed you uh, your sinfulness through the law, and it was your schoolmaster that brought you unto Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 9. Bible says here, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So when was I alive uh, without the law once? When you were a baby, you didn't know any better. <laughs> but as soon as you reached the age of accountability and someone showed you the commandment, guess what happened? The Bible says, sin revived, and I died. Right? That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. The moment you realize that you were a sinner, sin revived and you died. That's what it was. So let's use the commandments to awaken the conscience of a sinner. So once again, we want to use the Ten Commandments as an instructor to bring someone to Jesus Christ. And we want to use them as a means to awaken the conscience. So two things when you use the Ten Commandments... You use them as an instructor to bring them to Jesus Christ. And number two, you're using the Ten Commandments uh, to awaken the conscience. To awaken the conscience. Remember the Bible says, I believe in 1 Corinthians 4, it says, uh, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to mess the verse up. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 real quick here. That conscience that is lost needs to be awakened. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I know I should have wrote that verse down. It's 2 Corinthians 4, I apologize. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. But what you're trying to do by using the Ten Commandments and talking with people, and while you go to 2 Corinthians 4, I was talking to a fellow up in Rogers City at a McDonald's here, I don't know, it was about probably, I think it was about 2014, 2013, and I was on lunch break with the ice cream company I was working for, and I went up and gave him a gospel track, and before I could even say anything, he says, oh, I'm a good person, and I know, he says, I, fought, I live by the Ten Commandments. I've had that said to me enough time. I have a couple of responses I immediately come back with. And the first one was, well, that's fantastic. I've never met anyone who's kept all ten. Could you name them for me? That old boy couldn't name a single one. <laughs> you say, what happened? I awakened his conscience. Why? Because he was a liar. <laughs> but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible says, In whom the God of this world hath what? Blinded the minds of them which believe not. You ever thought to yourself, I don't want people understand, I don't understand why people just don't want the truth anymore. You know why they don't? Because they're blind. They're blind as a bat flying in backwards. Why? Because the God of this world, that's Satan, that's the devil, that's Lucifer, that's a serpent, that's a dragon. He's blinded the minds of them which believe not. And our job, if we use the Ten Commandments correctly, get an opportunity, you help awaken that blinded conscience. And you use the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. So I'd say this, if you're going to use the Ten Commandments, first of all, just ask them if they ever heard of them. Most people have heard of the Ten Commandments, haven't they? 
Hey, you ever heard the ten? Well, sure I have. And uh, you just ask them if they remember any of them. And, uh, and let's say they quote one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, you just start with the one they quote. You say, yeah, you know, well, I should, should not steal or something like that. And uh, so they say, thou shalt not steal. And so then you just reply, okay, have you ever stolen anything? <laughs> and they'll usually say, well, well, yeah, who hasn't, right? Stole a cookie when you were a kid. Stole time off the boss's time clock when you're messing around at the job, right? Uh, you know, stole money from the government by not paying your taxes. Or whatever, you know. And, uh, and then you can say this, so what do you call someone uh, who steals? And they'll be like, well, he's a thief. And then you say, uh, well, I guess that means you're a thief then, right? <laughs> it might not be your friend very, very long, but you, what are you doing? You're awakening their conscience. And they might get a little bit offended, but you stay focused, and then you immediately shift gears and go to another one. You got, they've admitted, yeah, I've stolen. Who hasn't, right? Everyone, everyone does stuff like that. Who hasn't? And uh, let's say the next one is not taking God's name in vain. And it seems anymore, uh, God's name is thrown around like a pair of Nike sneakers. And uh, you ask them, well, what do you call someone who uh, takes God's name in vain? They might not know this one, but eventually you let them know they're, uh, it's called being a blasphemer. And uh, after they admit that, you say, well, so far, you're, uh, according to what you said, you're a thief and a blasphemer. You see what I mean? you just take them the Ten Commandments and ask if they know any. And when they start naming them, you ask them if they broke it. Now, obviously, if uh, they said they were murder, well, that's a different story, but anyways. <laughs> but uh, if you're dealing with the commandments of murder and adultery, you can point out what Jesus said. And Jesus viewed the thoughts and desires of these sins equal to the acts themselves. So, when an example, in Matthew chapter 5, when a man commits adultery in his heart, he's guilty of adultery. And uh, in the book of 1 John, hating someone is equivocated as murder. You see that? So, you can work through several different scenarios of that, and uh, you'll eventually probably be able to say, so by your own admission, you're a lying thief who commits adultery, murder, and has blasphemed God's name. <laughs> you got him, right? You say, what are you doing? You're using the law as an instructor to bring them to Jesus Christ. And uh, before they start trying to cover up, because people are real good at covering up, real good at justifying, right? Uh, you might say something like this. If you're to stand trial in front of God just for breaking those commandments that you mentioned alone, you think God would find you innocent or guilty? It's a great way to ask it. They've already admitted to being a thief. They already admitted to stealing. They already admitted to blaspheming. And then you say, would God find you guilty? And uh, they might try to get out of the obvious answer, but most of the time they'll go along and admit that they'd be found guilty. When you pin a fellow down, they'll usually admit it. And uh, then you'd have to ask them uh, if they're guilty, well, what does that mean? Would you go to heaven or hell because of your sin? Now, in light of what you just showed them, you know what they're probably going to say? Probably go to hell. So the first thing you just accomplish by using the Ten Commandments as an instructor is you've awakened their conscience that they're a sinner and you're showing them where they're headed. And if you can get someone to admit that they're heading to hell, boy, you got something. Because uh, my dealings with people, uh, most of them won't admit they're even a sinner. If you can't get someone lost, you can't even, you can't even get to second base. Uh, but if they're honest, they'll have to say hell. And uh, once they admit that, you can just start explaining the 
truths of the gospel. So, but that's how you use the Ten Commandments. And that's a great way to do it because you don't have to memorize all ten of them. You just think of the ones that you remember, right? And just ask them, have they ever stolen? Ever taken God's name in vain? Well, yeah, who doesn't? Well, then that means you're what? A blasphemer, right? And uh, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, all that stuff there. So you can use the Ten Commandments. Uh, and I think we're just a couple minutes before our Sunday school hours up. But we're going to stop right there because the next gear I want to grab is, is how to use uh, uh, people's words to help turn that conversation around. And you call it Aikido tactics. I don't know if you've ever been in martial arts, but Aikido is uh, one of the ways you use someone's force against themselves. So that's, these are just, uh, just some thoughts, things you can think about this week, methods of witnessing. You can give your personal testimony. You can use gospel tracts. And I use gospel tracts more than I have time to tell anyone about my personal testimony. I use gospel tracts more than I ever have time to tell someone about the Ten Commandments. But if you have those personal encounters, like at the workplace, or if you have some family or friends or neighbors or something like that trust you, and you can give those uh, methods of witnessing out, they're very effective. And next week when we get together, we'll get to the next part here. All right.